I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Have you made it to any of the Holy Week services? Uh, that's something that's a big deal here in our family. We try to go to as many as possible. We missed the uh, the, the Chrism Mass this year because uh, we just had a lot going on with, with an upcoming move, but... Um, we made it to to all the Triduum Masses. And in fact, I had family in from out of town who were not Catholic, but they joined us. We went to Monday, Thursday, and, and Good Friday. And tonight, uh, we're going to the Vigil Mass. And I talk about this every year because the Vigil Mass is such a profound experience. Uh, it is probably the, the clearest presentation of the gospel that there is. Yes, on on. Uh, Palm Sunday, we read through the, the entire, right? We You're standing there thinking, there, there's no way we could read any more than this. Au contraire, uh, that is a long gospel. Yes, we're reading the whole passion narrative then, but we do that again on Friday. And then we also, on Saturday, we recount not just the passion narrative, but the whole of salvation history. There are multiple readings, I think seven readings and seven psalms, and then we get into the New Testament, and and the, they, the lights have been dimmed for the first part, and the lights come up, and there's, there's the bells, and there's the everything, and it's a fantastic experience because we're really taking the time uh, to meditate on what it is that Christ did in this redeeming work of the cross. We talk all the time, Jesus died for my sins. Uh, but let's let's drill down a little bit into what that means. And so we look at not just my sins, right? We look, we go through the fall. We go through Abraham. We go through all of these stories and the promises that God will redeem his people. Uh, and then we get to the New Testament and we go through the fact that God has redeemed his people. So if you've never made it to an Easter vigil, maybe you're like, you know what, that's for the people who are coming into the church. Uh, I'm going to go on Easter Sunday morning. It's a completely different liturgy. And you're going, I mean, you're, it's not overlap, right? You're, it's no overlap at all for you to go both to Easter vigil and to Easter. And I know, I hear you, that's a lot of church, but I'm taking my seven kids and we're staying up because we're insane. Uh, and we're going to go to the Easter vigil and tonight and, and experience the fullness of it. And normally we save our readings from scripture and church history to the very last segment. And we're still going to get to those. But there is one of these readings. And since we're going to be having a lot of readings tonight at the vigil, I figure we could do a couple here as well. We'll do one at the end, like always. But there's this one reading that really, to me, sums up what this this Holy Week is all about. And it comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. This is one of those that has really uh, attached itself to me in multiple stages of my life uh, because of its profundity. And this is what the Lord says to us. We, the ones who are responsible for his death, the ones he came uh, in and became man for, he he incarnated in Jesus Christ for the purpose of your redemption and my redemption. And so here in Isaiah 55, thus says the Lord, all you who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come receive grain and eat. 
come without paying and without cost, drink wine and milk. Why spend your money for what is not bread, or your wages for what fails to satisfy? Heed me, and you shall eat well. You shall delight in rich fare. Come to me heedfully. Listen, that you may have life. I will renew with you the everlasting covenant, the benefits assured to David. As I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of nations, so shall you summon a nation you knew not, and nations that knew you not shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the scoundrel forsake his way and the wicked man his thoughts, and let him turn to the Lord for mercy, to our God who is generous in forgiving. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. For just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seeds to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. My word shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the ends for which I sent it. And that comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Uh, And I'm sure you probably heard little snippets of that uh, because it's a very quotable section. We like that section of Scripture. Uh, And for me, this this Scripture made a huge impact on my life because I grew up um, reading a lot of the Psalms. And in the Psalms, everything is just black and white. You're either good or you're evil. And here was presented to me really for the first time in the Old Testament, the idea that I could let the wicked man forsake his way uh, and the scoundrel forsake his thoughts. This was the first time that I realized that I had a way to do that. I could turn myself to the Lord. And, And his forgiveness was offered to me, even though it didn't make sense to me, because his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And so this is just one of the readings that we're going to be hearing tonight at, uh, at the vigil that calls us very clearly, shows us the way that we have fallen, and calls us very clearly to turn our eyes to the Lord and to return to Him as He then uh, uh, makes way for us to be in relationship with us, adopts us into His family. Now, we've got a, a, some time before tonight, so make your plans figure out what you need to do to make it to vigil where you are. It's going to be after dark because we light the Paschal fire. Uh, Find a way for you to be there, but in the middle of your day, spend time praying, praying that God would open your heart to hear the things that he wants to reveal to you at vigil, but also in a very special and specific way. Pray for all of those who are coming into the church for the very first time, whether through baptism or whether through a profession of faith and they are coming into full communion with the Catholic Church. These are the people who need our prayers right now as they join the family of faith. When we come back, we're going to be talking with David Russell Mosley, who blogs over on the Pathios Catholic Channel. His blog is Letters from the Edge of Elfland. He came into the church last Easter, and he's going to be sharing with us his experience of coming into the church and what this year has meant to him as a Catholic. Join the conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. I'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Here we are on Holy Saturday. Uh, we're going to be talking about that quite a bit. We, in the, uh, in the last segment, we always do that reading from the breviary that's just so beautiful, an ancient homily from Holy Saturday. But last year, we started a tradition, which I think I'm going to make a yearly tradition, and that is interviewing on our interview segment uh, someone who has recently come into the church. And so this year, we're going to be talking with David Russell Mosley. He blogs over at Letters from the Edge of Elfland over on Pathios. Uh, he's the author of a, an, a fairy tale for grown-ups called The Edges of Elfland, On the Edges of Elfland, uh, and also uh, has some uh, probably some more serious academic work that you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, he wrote Being Deified, Poetry and Fantasy on the Path to God. David, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Timothy. So I, I was one of those uh, folks who, when I came into the church, I did everything uh, not the normal way. Uh, <laughs> I came into the church three weeks after Easter because I was working at a church at the time and uh, got that congregation through the Easter season before we entered. So I don't have quite the same experience of, uh, of Easter Vigil. I was at the Easter Vigil because I was sneaking to Catholic Mass for eight months before we came into the church, going to Vigil and then waking up and running three services at the church I was working at. Yeah, it was, it was fun. <laughs> but I had a very different experience of that first Easter Vigil as I watched uh, all of these people uh, that I came to know later. I watched them enter the church and, and then didn't have that same uh, experience of sitting there the first time and listening to salvation history wrought out in front of us in, in long form and to experience the difference of, you know, lighting the Paschal fire and then going through the readings and then the lights coming up at the gospel and the bells ringing and experiencing that as, hey, I'm entering into this right now. Mm. I, mean, I had a, a little bit of a uh, maybe <laughs> a disadvantage in that regard. Because I think that that liturgy is, is in many ways, even though it's made for all of us to experience the, the salvation history, I think in a very special way, it's made for those who are first now entering into the church. So talk to me about your experience coming into the darkened sanctuary, standing out there as the Paschal fire was lit. What were the, the experiences and emotions that you felt there on that first Easter vigil? So I have to admit the... Uh... The first Easter, my first Easter vigil, and so far my only one, right? Because mm -hmm. there hasn't been another one yet, is a bit like my my wedding. It's it's all a haze. Yeah, I know it happened. I remember being there, and I do remember some of the emotions, uh, mostly terror of doing the wrong thing. Uh, that's that's one of my my chief fear in life is to be in a social situation where I don't know what to do, mm -hmm. and. Catholic Mass is like that times 10. <laughs> right. So I'm there at the Easter Vigil, and I'm just praying that Father Kerper tells me where to sit and when to stand up and what to say. Because up to this point, I didn't feel terribly prepared for what I was actually supposed to do on the day. Now, isn't that the whole point of the uh, the catechumenate process and the candidate process is to get through and... <laughs> And at least intellectually and, and with a, a sense of assent, being able to come into this event and, and know what you're doing? <laughs> One would think. Uh, no. <laughs> and I knew 
I, you know, of course I knew all the, 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 the grander details, mm-hmm. right? The why here at the Easter Vigil. And, and I mean, I, I do recall, um, I go to St. Patrick's Church in Nashua, New Hampshire right now. And it's this beautiful old 19th century, you know, Irish Catholic church. And so watching Father Kerper, uh, one in a long line of solely Irish Catholic priests that this Irish Catholic parish has had, uh, you know, walking down and the candle and the flames and all of that and just being in awe in those moments. So I, I, I understood that and I knew why I was doing it on that night. I had no idea at what point I was supposed to stand up and what I was supposed to say. <laughs> this is kind of like your wedding, though. You 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 uh, drew the correlation between this and your wedding. They're going to ask you to repeat after them, right? The priest says, repeat <laughs> after me. <laughs> do you renounce Satan and all his evil works? You're supposed to say, I do, right? It's that same process. <laughs> a- uh, absolutely. Abs- and it was, it's a, it's a supreme moment of trust, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to trust that despite the fact that he has told you nothing, the priest remembers that you're there and knows <laughs> what to do. <laughs> and, so, and so I sit there with my wife on one side, my sponsor on the other, just praying he calls me up at the right time and I don't get forgotten. Right. And, and of course I wasn't. Uh, and I had the, the great opportunity. There were only three of us doing anything at the Easter Vigil. It was myself and two others. Um, a young woman, I'm, I'm a terrible judge of age, but I'd guess her somewhere in her early 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a young boy, about eight. Both who were being baptized and then confirmed. Right. And so it was, it was wonderful and beautiful to be able to, to watch them first, to not mm-hmm. have to be standing in line. And I remember you know, looking over at uh, grandparents who were there and, and watching all the, all the funny little family things that were going on as they, the, the parents of the, the young woman who was getting baptized and confirmed, trying to get the, the grandparents of the little boy to budge up a little bit so they could see what was going on. And so I had a nice little chuckle to myself in that moment. And then, then it was my turn to stand up in front of everyone and, uh, say what I needed to say, uh, to respond, right. To repeat after him. Uh, and I just remember being incandescently happy Mm -hmm. at that moment that this, this was where I belonged. This is where I was supposed to be. This is where I had been headed Mm -hmm. for the last 10 years. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with David Russell Mosley about his experience coming into the church last Easter vigil. Here we are on almost the one-year anniversary. Liturgically, it is the one-year anniversary, as tonight we all go and experience the Easter Vigil for ourselves. Uh, You had an interesting journey into the church. Uh, You you worked at a Protestant school, and you you blogged (laughs) syrotepistly over... (laughs) over on the Pathios Catholic channel as not a Catholic. Uh, how did this all come about? First of all, how did you, how did you start blogging Catholicly? And, and then what was it that really first drew you to the Catholic Church? Sure. Uh, so the, the blogging story is, is, a, is an interesting one. Um, I, was, I was blogging on my own. Uh, I had letters of the edge of Elfland. That I had my own web address and that kind of stuff, but not many people reading because for some reason people don't want to read about fairies as often as I feel like they should. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, And I had written a post uh, about King Arthur, I think, and the Inklings. Uh, 
that got picked up by a, a friend. She seemed to like it and she reposted it and that then got the attention of the then editor of the channel, uh, Sam Rocha. Uh, and he seemed to like what he saw and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in writing for the Pathos Catholic channel? And I said, sure. You know, I'm not Catholic though. Right. Uh, <laughs> now at this point in time, were you already start of already in your journey to a certain extent? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know when it was going to happen yet at that point, but I knew that it wasn't going to be too much longer, mm -hmm. uh, anymore. Uh, and in fact it was that, so that was around June, if I remember correctly. And it was, um, yeah, I want to say it was around that July that I, or that January, I'm sorry, um, that around that Advent that I, I decided, okay, I'm going to, at Advent, I had decided I've, I've just got to start going to, to mass. I, I, the Protestant church we were attending at the time, I just not only was getting nothing out of it, but I just wasn't, I wasn't able to engage or connect. It wasn't hitting the right notes for me. Um, liturgically, I mean, theologically it was fine, but but there was no rhythm. There was no intention to what was going on there. Uh, and so I just said, I, I have to start going to mass. Uh, and so, so I did. And then by that January, I reached out to the, the pastor at, at their father Kerper and said, I'd like to become Catholic. Mm -hmm. Now at this point in time, you've, uh, you've gotten your multiple degrees Mm -hmm. uh, you, you'd been in England, you'd spent time there, uh, in academia, you're married mm -hmm. and, and you have, uh, twins, babies, little ones. How, how did the, uh, how did the family dynamic influence or affect your journey? And, and how was the family with this, this journey? Uh, so for a while, it was the case that I was reticent about moving forward in any way. Um, because my wife was, she was baptized Catholic, uh, received first communion, never confirmed. Um, uh, but her story, her family kind of led her away from the Catholic church and into the Protestant church, into the tradition that, that I came to faith in. Uh, and so for a while I didn't, I didn't want to break up my family. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I thought God understands and, <laughs> and I need to keep my family whole. Right. Uh, but it, it did, it just finally got to a point where I didn't fear anything from my family. I didn't fear reprisals from my wife or anything like that. But, you know, it got to a point where I thought she's going to be okay. Whatever, whatever happens, she's going to be okay with what I, I choose. And I was right. She was completely supportive throughout the entire process, did not join me at that time. Um, but was completely supportive throughout the entire process, came with me to the vigil, uh, and then off and on started to attend mass with me. Um, and now actually she's going to be confirmed on the actual anniversary of my reception into the church. So on April 15th, uh, at the adult confirmation out at the, uh, cathedral, my wife will also be confirmed. Now, a number of Protestant traditions you would have, uh, believers baptism. So I know that your, your twins are very young. Um, what, what was their journey? Were they able, uh, were they already baptized or are they going to be brought into the church at your wife's confirmation? Or what does that look like for you and your family? So uh, the twins were not baptized. We were actually 
more or less Anglican when uh, they were born, but they still weren't baptized at that point because we were getting ready to move stateside. Uh, and so we have plans to have them baptized. They're both turning four in May. Um, we're just trying to coordinate if we can get their godparents out. Their godparents currently live in California, and so we're trying to see, can we get them to come out? Uh, we're also in the midst of moving, so we're changing parishes, and but hopefully by this, not by my wife's confirmation, but by this summer, mm-hmm. we'll get them baptized. We're talking today with David Russell Mosley. He blogs over on the Patheos channel. Uh, the blog is Letters from the Edge of Elfland. I highly recommend it. Go take a look. But I also encourage you today, as we prepare ourselves for the Easter Vigil, as we prepare ourselves for, I think, 30,000 people this year around the United States are coming into the church, just in the United States. Pray for those people who are coming in tonight, for those people who are going to be approaching the church for the very first time. Uh, Pray for the Mosley family as uh, his wife is going to be coming into the church at adult confirmation in a couple of weeks. Pray for their children as they are preparing to be baptized. And for all of those who are looking to come into full communion with the Catholic Church. Make that your sacrifice today as you uh, as you prepare your own heart for Easter. Spend some time in intercession for those who are coming into the church. Well, we're going to continue this conversation right after the break as we talk more with David Russell Mosley about his conversion. In the meantime, join the ongoing conversation over on social media. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today with David Russell Mosley. He blogs over at Letters from the Edge of Elfland. You can find that over on the Patheos Catholic channel. Uh, David, thanks for being with us today. I am happy to be here. So we're coming up on one year uh, of you being confirmed in the Catholic Church. Uh, you, you mentioned the name um, Father Kerper, who uh, is your pastor and helped you come into the church. And it would, would this happen to be the same Father Michael Kerper who wrote the book, uh, a priest answers 27 questions you never thought to ask? It is indeed. Man. So we had him on the show back uh, May, I think, May, no, March, about a year ago, March of 2017. And he just, his writing is fantastic. So I, I can't understand why you as an author and English teacher would really get along with him. Yeah, you know, and he's also very theologically acute, and I have a PhD in theology. It's just, it's, you know, it's the odd couple, really. <laughs> so tell me a little bit, th- this this kind of puts a new dynamic on it for me, uh, because he seems like just the perfect person to uh, to help you through RCIA. Uh, he was the perfect person to help me through my confirmation class. Okay. Uh, oh, that's true. Having, having a PhD in theology does have benefits. I haven't found too many of them yet, but it does have them. <laughs> right. One of them is that if you try to come into the Catholic Church in the right parish, they'll say, well, you already know a lot of stuff. Right. So why don't we do something else? <laughs> Luckily, uh, I, I do not have a PhD, but I, I tell people I clept out of RCIA because I had a priest who said pretty much the same thing. Uh, but you don't often find that because a lot of parishes, they they have the mechanism 
to do RCIA. They've got the volunteers to do it. And it's just easier to say to everyone who's coming in, uh, hey, this may be uh, below your level, but you're going to help enrich the class. So let's go ahead and go do that. So you you came to a parish that recognized that RCIA is primarily for the catechumens, those who are coming in to be baptized. You have already been baptized. You're coming through confirmation. Uh, so yay for that. That's not a very common uh, experience. But talk to me a little bit about that that uh, interaction between you and Father Kerper. So it was it was really interesting, um, the class, and then sometimes he and I would, would meet uh, one-on-one where we'd talk about Rahner or Hansers von Balthasar or radical orthodoxy or just all the things that I happen to be interested in theologically. Uh, and then we'd have the class, which, while it wasn't RCIA, it was kind of a, a blend because there was such a mix of people and levels of knowledge uh, in there. So sometimes class would be going through that, you know, that first section of the catechism. We used the compendium for the class, mm-hmm. going through the Apostles' Creed and what does it mean to believe in God and all that kind of stuff. And then other times, you know, we'd talk about Jansenism. <laughs> uh, which, which my wife just got that talk recently in, in her version of this class. Right. <laughs> uh, but it, it's wonderful. It's wonderful having such a, such a, uh, theologically astute priest and such a, uh, Father Kerber, his, his writing is, is spectacular, but his speaking is almost more so. Uh, he, he is very eloquent. He knows how to put things and yet, Oh, what is it that Kipling says? He can talk with kings uh, and not lose the common touch, right? Yeah. And he can walk with crowds and not lose his virtue. I think I flipped the line around, but but you get the idea. He's he is someone who can span mm-hmm. uh, all walks. You realize that n- nobody listening would have caught that you flipped that line. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I knew. <laughs> so let's go back. Let's go back to the very beginning. Uh, because obviously someone who's interested in Rahner and Hansel, uh, uh, Hans, whose name I can never say correctly, uh, Hansers von Balthasar, this is obviously going to make you Catholic. If that's what your interest is, you're going to end up Catholic. But you didn't start there. You didn't start with those readings. Uh, how did you get from the tradition you grew up in and the tradition that presumably you began studying theology in uh, yeah to make it now to this place where you've entered the Catholic church. So I kind of, I I blame the restoration movement for making me Catholic and not because it was a really bad tradition that I I was angry at and reactive towards, but because it was where I learned about all of these things. It, they were open enough to, to dialogue with Catholics, with Eastern Orthodox. Um, And so it's their fault. Uh, I did, I did my master's uh, at a small um, school in this tradition called Lincoln Christian University, and I did it in church history uh, and historical theology. And so it was there reading Augustine and, and John Cassian uh, for the first and you know Gregory of Nazianzus for the first time that began to open those doors for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, it was uh, an entire life of reading people like J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, uh, who, uh, to borrow a phrase from Lewis, kind of baptized my imagination. You know, they made me ready for Christianity in general, and then really they they prepared me for becoming Catholic. 
there was this quote I saw recently, uh, and and I'm going to get it wrong, but I'm going to say enough of it that you're going to pick up on it and know exactly what I'm talking about, and then you can correct me. Uh, but it, it talks about that that fantasy uh, and that that imagination uh, prepares our our mind for what our intellect can't yet grasp. Mm. Now, you see, you've put too much weight on my shoulders. I don't recognize the quote, but I like it. I believe it's it's either Lewis or Tolkien, and this idea that um, that we we shy away from fantasy in this world because we like things that are rational and that we can wrap our our minds around, and yet the the act of myth and the act of fantasy in and of itself is able to convey truths that we can't yet completely wrap our minds around. Uh, absolutely. Uh- one of one of my favorite things. So you've you've mentioned before, and I still I, I adjunct. Uh, I teach online for a, a school in the same tradition. Uh, and in my in an intro theology class, the last week is dedicated entirely to what I, I call the theological imagination. Uh, and really, what I mean is the sacramental imagination. And we talk about that in the class. So there, they read things. Uh, you know, they read Jared Manley Hopkins. They read a little Dante. Uh, and they also read the section, The Ethics of Elfland, from uh, G.K. Chesterton in Orthodoxy. And I love having my super analytical students read that section and come away with it thinking that like Chesterton is completely anti-science, that he's irrational or irlo- illogical. And I always say to them, have you actually, did you read closely enough? <laughs> because even in that section, Chesterton calls it the Elfland, that fairy is the land of common sense. Uh, that this is in fact the place where reason, where logic reside. Uh, and he even makes that very clear when he talks about the test of imagination, right? That we can imagine a tree that grows candlesticks or bangled tigers. Therefore, a tree doesn't have to grow apples or flowers or nuts or whatever. It, that's not a law. It's just how it happens to be. But two and one have to make three. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't do that any other way unless you change what you mean by two, one, three, and or equals. Right. Uh, similarly, black cannot be white and evil cannot be good without changing what those words mean. Those are the real laws. That's where that's where reason is. Mm-hmm. That's where the word is. Oh, well, now you're starting to use the word. And of course, I always hate talking about the word because you can't tell if it's capitalized or not, whether it's referring to Christ or whether it's referring to just the the spoken order and logos, as it were. Well, as Maximus the Confessor would say, uh, from the logos come the many logoi. Mm-hmm. So from from the word come the words, right? From, from the reason come the reasons, the organizing principles. Uh, and so our language is related to and dependent on and comes from I love, the word. I love how the, the catechism puts it, that that Christ is the single utterance of God. And Absolutely. that all other words come through and, and for and because of him. By him and with him and in him and through him, mm-hmm. all things were made visible and invisible, to slightly paraphrase Colossians. Mm-hmm. And a pagan philosopher that Paul's. <laughs> Paraphrasing. <laughs> yes. Well, isn't that isn't that uh, going back to the, this idea of 
sharing in the divine nature and and baptizing our imaginations. We also baptize the world that's around us. Those uh, those things that are good and true and beautiful are good and true and beautiful because they are. And then we can appropriate yes. those and and put them in the proper context and see them for what they are. Absolutely. Augustine called it despoiling the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, even Augustine understood that that was despoiling them of the gold that the Egyptians had taken from the Hebrews in the first place. Right. Uh, that, that these things actually do already belong to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Lewis makes the the rather provocative claim that Christianity is the one religion that can really take all the world's myths. They're, they're ours by right, in a sense, because we are the ones who can make the most sense out of them. We can pull out what is truest, what is best, what is most beautiful from them. So in these last few moments we have, tell me what's a thing that stood out to you this year, either liturgically or just in your experience of the faith that really profoundly affected you in this first year of being Catholic? I think the biggest thing for me has been the role of uh, saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something I, I had assented to long before I was Catholic, uh, struggled with immensely when trying to come up with a name for a confirmation saint. I ended up choosing three. None of them were used at the confirmation. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not sure if I actually have them yet or not. But it was a moment most – very recent actually. I've, I've been reading through um, Malcolm Geith. He's an Anglican priest, poet, theologian and uh rock star mm-hmm. he's just I, I as anglicans go i love malcolm guide this is an excellent little book of poetry uh that takes you through lent and easter uh, and he has these oases uh for the saints days that appear during this time and he has one for saint cuthbert uh whose feast day is march 20th for anybody you know who wants to look up saint cuthbert i've maybe heard about him back when i was doing when i was learning about the synod of whitby because that's around when he was from but I was all of a sudden very taken with St. Cuthbert uh, to the point where I feel uh, I've, I've described that I've been haunted by him in a very good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's that I have in I've entered into that great cloud of witnesses in, in a way that I, I never had prior to becoming Catholic uh, and that I think it took becoming Catholic to be able to really enter into it. Well, And I think that no matter how much we look to the saints or admire the saints, that until such time as we belong to that family, uh, we can't really fully experience it. We, we're going to have some taste of it. We're going to have some right. uh, understanding of it. But there is a profound sense of belonging and and, and yep. understanding that these are my people. And yeah. and not only that, but they claim me too. Right. And, and that's just it. It wasn't, I didn't go looking for St. Cuthbert. Mm-hmm. He found me. Yeah. I want to talk to you a little bit more about that in our extra segment that we provide to all of our Patreon listeners. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link to find that extra segment. We're talking today with David Russell Mosley. He's a bl- blogs over at Letters from the Edge of Elfland over on the Patheos Catholic channel. He's also the author of the book Being Deified, Poetry and Fantasy on the Path to God, available from Fortress Press. Join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Come talk to me, but don't go too far. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And today we're talking about conversion, about Holy Saturday, about this awkward, still, quiet day where we remember that Christ was laid in the tomb, that God himself, who became incarnate on our behalf, willingly gave his life on the cross and suffered and died. As we get further into this segment, each year, as we get to this day, I read this magnificent homily, ancient homily, on Holy Saturday. And in it, we hear this story of Christ descending into hell and the purposes for which he did it. And so today's bumper music, you notice, it's a little bit different. Uh, each, each week, our, our normal bumper music is provided by uh, Jill Phillips and her husband, Andy Gullihorn. They have fantastic music. I'm a huge fan. Um, but this specific song today is a song by Andy Gullihorn. It's one of his others. Uh, and it's talking about that descent into hell and Christ descending not only into hell to, to free the captives, as we will read in just a moment, but also Christ descending into our individual hells. Uh, and it's, it's really a stunning song to behold in its entirety. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is over on social media, I'm going to put a link to that song. So you can go and download it. Uh, support Andy for uh, all the, the wonderful work he does and in thanks for what they do for us in providing us the bumper music. Uh, but also just to give you an extra something to meditate on, uh, on, on this Holy Saturday. Earlier in the show, we talked with David Russell Mosley. He blogs at the Pathios Catholic Channel. His blog is Letters from the Edge of Elfland, and we'll be putting a link to that on our social media as well. Go over to facebook.com slash step outside the walls, Twitter the handles at outside the walls to find that. If you missed any part of the show or if you want to share it with your friends, uh, it's real easy. All the, all the episodes are archived over at outsidethewalls.com. It's right there. The today's episode will be right up at the top just about as soon as we are finished here on the broadcast. And so I, I encourage you, go find it, listen, share it with your friends if you heard something in here you really enjoyed. And while you're there, go ahead to the top of the page and click on that Patreon link where it says support the show because I've got lots of extra segments there, including one with David today. We talked for about 15 extra minutes and that's available to all those who support the show at a $5 level. Uh, we've also got extra other giveaways and video chats and whatnot available to those who support the show at a slightly higher level. So go take a look and see if uh, for the price of a pound, less really, less than a pound of coffee, you might enjoy the extras, the goodies that we give away each and every month. And we do that out of gratitude because without the support of those on Patreon, we wouldn't be able to continue bringing you this show week in and week out. So join their numbers uh, and help us keep this going. Now, without further ado, let's go ahead and turn our attention to Scripture and to a reading from church history. We're going to do today's reading from Scripture from the Breviary uh, because I think it flows in really well with our reading from church history from the Breviary as well. So this comes from the letter of Hebrews chapter 4. While the promise of entrance into his rest still holds, 
We ought to be fearful of disobeying, lest any one of you be judged to have lost his chance of entering. We have indeed heard the good news as they did, but the word which they heard did not profit them, for they did not receive it in faith. It is we who have believed who enter into that rest, just as God said, Then I swore in my anger, they shall never enter into my rest. Yet God's work was finished when he created the world, for In reference to the seventh day, Scripture somewhere says, And God rested from all his work on the seventh day. And again, in the place we have referred to, God says, They shall never enter into my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter, and those to whom it was first announced did not enter because of unbelief, God once more set a day, today, when long afterward he spoke through David the words we have quoted, Today, If you should hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now, if Joshua had led them into the place of rest, God would not have spoken afterward of another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. And he who enters into God's rest rests from his own work as God did from his. Let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall in imitation of the example of Israel's unbelief. Indeed, God's word is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates and divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the reflections and the thoughts of the heart. Nothing is concealed from him. All lies bare and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. That reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Our reading from church history, again, comes from that ancient homily on Holy Saturday that that really just captures me and arrests my attention each and every year. This homily is an account of what Jesus did and accomplished when he was in the tomb. Something strange is happening. There is a great silence on earth today. A great silence and stillness. The whole earth keeps silence because the king is asleep. The earth trembled and is still because God has fallen asleep in the flesh. And he has raised up all who have slept ever since the world began. God has died in the flesh and hell trembles with fear. He has gone to search for our first parent as for a lost sheep greatly desiring to visit those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death. He has gone to free from sorrow the captives, Adam and Eve, he who is both God and the son of Eve. The Lord approached them bearing the cross, the weapon that had won him the victory. At the sight of him, Adam, the first man he had created, struck his breast in terror and cried out to everyone, My Lord be with you all. And Christ answered him, And with your spirit. He took him by the hand and raised him up, saying, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I am your God, who for your sake have become your son. Out of love for you and for your descendants, I now by my own authority command all who are held in bondage to come forth, all who are in darkness to be enlightened, all who are sleeping, to arise. I order you, O sleeper, to awake 
I did not create you to be held a prisoner in hell. Rise from the dead, for I am the life of the dead. Rise up, work of my hands, you who were created in my image. Rise, let us leave this place. For you are in me, and I am in you. Together we form only one person, and we cannot be separated. For your sake, I, your God, became your son. I, the Lord, took the form of a slave. I, whose home is above the heavens, descended to the earth and beneath the earth. For your sake, for the sake of man, I became like a man without help, free among the dead. For the sake of you, who left a garden, I was betrayed to the Jews in a garden, and I was crucified in a garden. See on my face the spittle I received in order to restore to you the life I once breathed into you. See there the marks of the blows I received in order to refashion your warped nature in my image. On my back, see the marks of the scourging I endured to remove the burden of sin that weighs upon your back. See my hands nailed firmly to a tree for you who once wickedly stretched out your hand to a tree. I slept on the cross and a sword pierced my side for you who slept in paradise and brought forth Eve from your side. My side has healed the pain in yours. My sleep will rouse you from your sleep in hell. The sword that pierced me has sheathed the sword that was turned against you. Rise, let us leave this place. The enemy led you out of the earthly paradise. I will not restore you to that paradise, but I will enthrone you in heaven. I forbade you that tree that was only a symbol of life. But see, I who am life itself am now one with you. I appointed cherubim to guard you as slaves are guarded, but now I make them worship you as God. The throne formed by cherubim awaits you, its bearers swift and eager. The bridal chamber is adorned, the banquet is ready, the eternal dwelling places are prepared, the treasure houses of all good things lie open. The kingdom of heaven has been prepared for you from all eternity. That reading comes from an ancient homily on Holy Saturday. And again, I hope that you make it tonight. I hope that you take the time and go to Easter Vigil because you will not regret it. Uh, if you're taking young children, you may have some, uh, some interesting moments, but open your eyes and your ears to see the symbols and the sights that are given to us to help us understand and more fully appropriate the mystery of our redemption. Our shepherd, the source of the water of life, has died. The sun was darkened when he passed away, but now man's captor is made captive. This is the day when our Savior broke through the gates of death. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's show is brought to you and made possible by all those who support the show through Patreon, including Christy Burmeister, who's coming into the church tonight. Say a prayer for her. Join the community of supporters by going to OutsideTheWalls.com and clicking the Patreon link. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.